Good evening. Juneteenth celebrations in New York and nationwide. Rank choice voting and candidate Yang and Garcia. The Washington Square Park skate kids. And where is the council person on the Lower East Side? With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Sunday, June 20th, 2021. And the driver of a pickup truck struck and killed one man and injured another as marchers were getting ready to begin a pride parade in South Florida today. The president of the Fort Lauderdale Gay Men's Chorus, which is participating in the parade, said in a statement the driver was part of the chorus family. The injured were members of the chorus. Their identities haven't been released. Adding in his statement, to my knowledge, this was not an attack on the LGBTQ community. The police said they hadn't determined the cause of the crash, which happened just before 7 p.m. as officials and marchers were gathered for the Wilton Manor's Stonewall Pride Parade. And in international news, Iranian state television reports Iran's sole nuclear power plant has been temporarily shut down for a technical overhaul. The Bush Hare plant shutdown began yesterday and would reportedly last for three to four days. In March, nuclear officials said Iran cannot procure parts and equipment for the plant from Russia, who built it due to banking sanctions imposed by the United States in 2018. Bush Hare is powered by uranium produced in Russia, not Iran, and is monitored by the United Nations International Atomic Energy Agency. The plant sits near active fault lines and was built to withstand powerful quakes. It's been periodically shaken by tumblers. There have been no significant earthquakes reported in the area in recent days. And Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett has condemned the new Iranian president as a hangman, describing Ibrahim Raisi's election win as a final wake-up call for the world powers before returning to a nuclear agreement with Tehran. Bennett made the comments on Sunday as he opened his first cabinet meeting since swearing in his new coalition government last week. Hardline Judiciary Chief Raisi was elected as Iran's next president on Saturday with 62 percent of the vote amid a historically low voter turnout. Iran and world powers resumed indirect talks in Vienna today to resurrect Tehran's tattered 2015 nuclear deal, which granted Iran sanctions relief in exchange for curbs on its nuclear program. Earlier this month, Israel's outgoing Mossad intelligence chief signaled that Israel was behind a string of recent attacks targeting the country's nuclear program. And closer to home... The Juneteenth parade swept through Washington, D.C. as hundreds of celebrators were seen partying and dancing to mark the national holiday on Saturday. Celebrators were holding Black Lives Matter posters and were dancing to band music on the streets. And yesterday in the Bronx, the Van Cortland Park Alliance marked the newly minted federal holiday of Juneteenth, which honors the end of slavery and serves for many as a day of remembrance. The huge park in the North Bronx was once a sprawling slave plantation, and yesterday celebrates danced to the sound of drums as a priest sang in the Yoruba dialect, a African language. The event was capped by renaming of sections of the park, marking them as sacred ground. The enslaved African and Kingsbridge burial ground and the Hester and Piero's Mill Pond, named for a miller and his wife, were among the slaves buried there. Meanwhile, in Harlem, hundreds of people came to celebrate Freedom Day in St. Nicholas Park on James Baldwin Lawn. The event yesterday was hosted by the mayor and first lady, Shirlane McRae. Several hundred people attended. For many, it was the first time in months they'd been able to socialize in a group. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer was there. He says the Juneteenth national holiday signed by President Joe Biden 
was almost derailed. Thank you, Mayor de Blasio. Happy Juneteenth. This is long overdue. We all know that slavery officially ended in 1865, but we also all know that in many ways, slavery is still with us. And we have to fight it every day. Every day. And let me just say this. They tried some of those nasty Republicans. To not let the bill go through the Senate. But I made sure it did. It is now law. It is long overdue. And we will remember the scar, the original and long-lasting scar in America, slavery and racism. And we will fight it every single day. Thank you. God bless you. And happy Juneteenth, everybody. Senator Chuck Schumer, the CEO of Street Corner Resources, a community organization working to bring peace by countering gang violence, is Aisha Seku. She says Juneteenth is about healing. I got to say something about gun violence and this violence and its relationship to who we are, because when we gather beautifully like this, right? We should never have to worry about what happened, I think it was the Bronx. Shooter, shooting at somebody with two kids. So when we think about Juneteenth, and we think about how we're going to create and recreate community where you live, so when you leave here, you go back and do something different. No standing by as an apathetic bystander. You see Bubba and Day-Day and them, have a conversation with them. Have an expectation of a better community. And don't allow the things that lead to violence to happen in your neighborhood. Aisha Sekou is CEO of Street Corner Resources in Harlem. In more political news, Tuesday is primary day. Angela Palumbo has this report on the new system voters will find at the polling place. The New York City mayoral primary is here. The official primary date is June 22nd. This voting cycle is unlike any other for New Yorkers. With so many options, you may be feeling a little lost in the process. Longtime New York City resident and retired teacher Cy Lambert has voted in almost all mayoral elections since 1979. I think the, the main difference this time is a lot of candidates. And in the past, uh, even in the primaries, it seemed as though there were very few options. With 13 candidates on the ballot for mayor and a new ranked choice voting system in place, voters might feel overwhelmed and confused by ranked choice voting. But it gives voters the option to rank candidates in order of your preference. Out of the 13 candidates running, you can rank your top five in order from favorite to fifth favorite. Ranked choice voting works by gradually eliminating the lower performing candidates. When counting the votes, the first choices will be tallied until the 13th place choice is determined. This will eliminate the 13th place candidate and anyone who voted for that candidate will have their second choice option moved up to their first choice. This process will continue for the remaining candidates until one candidate ends up with the majority of the votes. It's important to remember that your first choice will not be affected by ranking other choices below them. Those other candidates will only count if your first choice is eliminated. 
If there's an issue in your community you want resolved, voting is a major way to make your voice heard and make that change happen. Some New York City residents share why voting in local elections is important to them. I think it's important to vote because you want to be heard. You want your voice to be heard. And you want to select the right person who represents your ideals. Voting is important, um, especially here in New York, because, you know, um, people want change, you know. Um, things. Um, there's things that are, like, going on in the world. And, like, I think if people want that change, people got to step up and demand it, you know. New York City took a big hit during COVID, and we need people with the proven smarts, experience, and commitment to, uh, to helping us rebuild. Making your voices heard in local elections means that the people of your community get to decide who takes care of and fights for you. Voting in the mayoral primary elections ends on June 22nd. If you're not sure of your polling place, you can go to findmypollsite.vote.nyc. Angela Palumbo, WBAI, New York. Thanks, Angela. But there might already be attempts to gain the new voting system. One way is for candidates to cross-endorse so they're ranked number two by an allied opponent's voters, ensuring at least one gets the extra push if the other is forced out of the balloting. That's apparently happening as Catherine Garcia and Andrew Yang appeared together in Chinatown today ahead of a get-out-the-vote rally focused on attacks against people of Asian descent, the second display of unity between the two Democratic mayoral candidates in as many days. Garcia, a former sanitation commissioner, and Yang, a former presidential candidate, met with a hug and a handshake at Kim Lau Square before walking together to the nearby rally. Yang spoke with WBAI earlier this morning. I began the interview by asking about the crisis developing in Washington Square Park, where young revelers have been refusing to leave and police have tried and failed to enforce an early curfew. Although the mayor and the police have stepped back from the curfew idea after 23 arrests two weeks ago, Yang says he's considering closing the park two hours early than its traditional midnight closing. Public school parent, I've got two young boys, and we need to have a city where families feel completely safe and comfortable walking through a public park. To the extent there are issues with that, Police need to enforce regulations and rules so that we do have proper safety. I've been endorsed by the police captain's union and the firefighters, the New Yorkers who will be tasked with restoring a sense of safety and stability uh, to not just the parks, but the streets, the subways. This is what we're going to need to have a true recovery here in New York City. What about a curfew? I mean, that's really what it's coming down to. I think uh, the police want a 10 p.m. curfew and some people in the community, but there is significant uh, pushback on that. I think a curfew is something that should be considered. My issue with the response before is that if you have a curfew, I don't think that then necessarily should result in cops and riot gear coming and uh, precipitating a larger scale uh, conflict, but a curfew could be appropriate, yes. What do you think was wrong or right with the NYPD response last year to the uh, George Floyd protests in New York? There were many recorded instances where officers engaged in open conflict with protesters uh, and, and others, and many people unfortunately saw that some of the time the conflicts and tensions were elevated by police actions instead of being diminished. That's the biggest problem that we saw last summer in terms of the response. New York City Housing Authority, NYCHA, needs $40 billion that it's in terrible shape and it's almost becoming a human rights violation in its own right without the repairs that are necessary. How would you raise that $40 billion, if you would? There's a once-in-a-generation opportunity to re rebuild NYCHA and live up to our 
moral obligation to the people that live in these communities. And New York City is both the largest and perhaps one of the worst landlords in New York City. So the once-in-a-generation opportunity is that there's a $1.9 trillion infrastructure budget that's being considered right now in Washington, D.C. And NYCHA should be one of the major recipients of billions of dollars in aid and infrastructure spending. This would be job creating. Uh, It would enable us to make many communities much more environmentally sustainable and healthier and it's the right thing to do i look forward to working with the biden administration now we've seen all the homeless people out on the street and the reports of interactions with the homeless people that have not been positive also we have eight thousand homeless people in hotels who are being evicted homeless people some of them might be mentally ill or whatever and have been repeating the things they hear in the media and attacking people of asian descent First, let me say this affects every New Yorker, and anyone who's walking our streets knows this. Uh, There's a man named Alex Wright who punched an Asian woman on the streets of, of Manhattan, but he was arrested eight times for attacking people of every background. My neighborhood in Hell's Kitchen, a mom who was Caucasian was punched in the face by a mentally ill man. So it's not just an issue that faces any one community. We have hundreds of mentally ill homeless men walking our streets, resting on our subways, And we all see it around us. We're nervous when we see them. And occasionally one of them does something truly regrettable, antisocial, and even violent. We owe these people better treatment, better environment, better care. Putting people in unsupported housing is not working. The number of psych beds in New York City has declined by 14%, even as the needs have skyrocketed. As mayor, I would rebuild the stock of psych beds, increase it by... 100% or whatever is required to make sure that the people on our streets are getting the care they deserve and that we, the people of New York, have the public safety that we expect. Let me jump to housing. The way that low-income housing is being developed in New York has been, for lack of a better term, developing our way out of it, uh, getting luxury developers, forcing them through tax breaks to develop a certain number of lower-income, often not that much lower-income housing for other New Yorkers. This is a proper way to develop low-income housing? Everyone is for affordable housing in the abstract, but then when it comes to their neighborhood, they don't like it as much. I've pledged a $4 billion a year commitment because this is a crisis in New York City. I want to build or preserve 30,000 units uh, a year, but I also want to loosen restrictions on things like single room occupancy, accessory dwelling units, co-living. If we are more flexible in our regulations, we can develop more affordable and accessible housing more quickly. I also want to convert the Class B office buildings that are vacant around us that will probably not come back. I mean, I I want to get people back in the office, but we can see that that's not going to happen 100% what New York is going to look like post-COVID. An issue that's been brought up about a stock transfer tax that New York City could raise money by putting a small half-penny per trade tax on stock transfers. What's wrong with that? Because of the federal aid, we do have some flexibility. And I would not want to do something that hastens the departure of either businesses or individuals from New York City to a place like, let's call it Florida. And we should acknowledge that we have lost some businesses and individuals to other places. I don't want to widen the cost gap between New York City and other places right now, given that we do have this two-year period. The focus should be on accelerating our recovery as quickly as possible. 
You've been described to me as the most libertarian of the candidates. And I was wondering if uh, we're going to see under your administration maybe a push for uh, broadening the legalization of drugs beyond marijuana, like psychedelics and or for for treatment, uh, possibly even opiates. I've argued for the decriminalization of psilocybin mushrooms in part because I've talked to a number of military veterans who say that it's the only thing that has helped them recover from trauma. I've talked to academics in this space, and I think that this is an area that we should be flexible on in terms of allowing for treatment and usage that helps people when nothing else can. Candidate Andrew Yang, is he the magic mushroom candidate? We'll hear more about Washington Square Park later in the newscast. In related news, candidate for mayor and civil rights attorney Maya Wiley was co-chair of the campaign to pass a ballot initiative on ranked choice voting. She says it's fair and gives voters more choices. I think it's incredibly important for democracy. It creates more opportunities for people who want to run for office who don't come out of traditional political machines. It gives us an opportunity to make sure all our voices are heard because, as you know, so often if a race goes to a runoff anywhere in this country, it's usually black folks, brown folks, folks who are low income who do not come back to the polls for the second election. And that's candidate for mayor and civil rights attorney, Maya Wiley. Meanwhile, Washington Square Park was alive with music, dancing, and joy as hundreds of mostly but not entirely young people celebrated the end of the 16-month-long COVID lockdown that's changed New York forever. Last week, a community meeting organized by police was mostly attended by local residents who were opposed to the lax enforcement. Most seemed to want an early curfew at the Greenwich Village Park. They say the noise from revelers goes on all night. The motorcyclists race through the park and skateboard kids zip by, showcasing their daring rides. WBAI spoke with several young skateboarders in the park Friday night who say they mean no harm but need a place to meet their friends now that COVID is over. The problems with the cops when it comes just to skateboards, you're going to hurt We're them. just trying to play with a piece of wood. It's literally a toy. Like uh, It's a way to express some yourself. People, some people are trying to make money. Some people are trying to make it out the hood. Some people are just trying to have fun. Like We're not here to hurt anybody. Like Skateboarding? Like, if we trespass a little bit, that's what it takes, you know? Sometimes you got to take it to the next level. The skate park isn't always the next level. The next level is the streets. I'm old and I love it, but certain authority figure type people just go nuts. Why is that? Because they look at it as a sign of rebellion. Or destruction of property. Because they they want to control people and they can't control us. That's why. Skateboarding is the opposite of conformity. Okay. We're we're out here to be different. We're trying to stand out. Everybody does the same tricks, yeah, but we're here to stand out. That's why we're at these spots. Aside from all that, I also feel like people just don't like because people assume that skaters are tied to a certain stereotype. Oh, exactly. So that's yeah. another thing. I feel like people think that skaters are always going to be a certain kind of like... Violent, ignorant, trying to destroy the property. When in reality, a lot of us are very mindful and aware of our situation. And if become, you didn't have this park, where would you go? Uh, there's plenty of places to skate in the city. But not a lot of lively areas where we could just chill out with and each meet other. meet people and... Yeah. and, and uh, Socialize this with the general down. public. Yeah, exactly. This is our come down because honestly, like, we'll be skating out on the street all day and now we want to interact with regular people. Like, 
So this is a park where literally I feel like a lot of people who actually support skaters will come. Yep. And this so is where the underground meets the gentrification. Like there's a fine line. Like definitely a fine line. So you meet all kinds of people. New York. You oh, could yeah. be talking to this park. There's a lot of a lot of out of towners. A lot yeah. of them. Yeah. You got your locals, and then we could all see the out of towners. You know? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I live downtown, and I'm telling you, like this is way. So you're around, you're living yes. in this neighborhood. I definitely do, and I see how like a lot of people from out of the city be coming out here and be making presumptions on like people who live here, right. and trying to control us who actually live here. Like what? That's crazy. Why are you gonna pat me up in my house all day? I'm just trying to be outside and have fun, man. Exactly. We were in, we were in the crib all Corona. Like, let us go skate. Like, have some let fun. Let us like. be outside. Like, that's interesting. You were. What did you do during Corona? Not the work. I worked. I work 70 hours a week. What do you do? No, I, when I during Corona, I worked at Target. I was just doing everything there. But they had overtime, so I didn't leave money. my borough. I stayed in the crib. I stayed local between the same five people I hang out with, and that was it. I didn't come downtown for months. Right, so that's why people are out here. One of the big reasons. Exactly. I think also, yeah, definitely a lot of people are tired of being like, especially if you live here and you can't afford to go to a club. You're not a one. You're not rich. You can't just go out to a bar. Where else are you gonna go to? This is a park. Like Washington Square Park is one of the most New York City-like areas you will ever go to. Because Harlem is like this on every block. So the fact that a little park is like this, and people who actually live around here, which a lot of people can't really do, are complaining about it. Come on, it sounds like a really big wealth gap already. Probably. Whether you're a local or from out of town, you come to Washington Square Park, you're gonna have a good time. Always. All right. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Skate Kids in Washington Square Park on Friday night, about midnight. In more news on the subject, last week, candidate and Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams said a curfew wasn't necessary in the park. He suggested focused intervention for the homeless and drug users who inhabit some parts of the public space. Another way than a uh, curfew? Yes, we can. You go in, you spend a month in the park with a mental health professional. Uh, with great nonprofits and organizations we have in our city, we go into the park, spend that entire month of sitting down, finding out the needs of people. Let's set up tables right in the park and deploy people to go around and find out the needs of the people in the park. And that's Brooklyn Borough President and candidate for mayor, Eric Adams. Police representatives have told residents they're hesitant to use force. The young people have nowhere else to go with curfews on several downtown parks. Most protests lately in last year have been orderly, and the officer added that police don't really see the need to use force in Washington Square Park. And those are excerpts from Friday's shindig in Washington Square Park. And in more local news, activists opposed to a billion and a half dollar flood control project slated for East River Park on the Lower East Side say they're questioning recent news that their council person, Carlina Rivera, a strong proponent of the project, has moved to a new home within the district, but far from her original residence in the heart of the neighborhood. Organizer Tommy Loeb of East River Park Action says Rivera can live where she wants, but he adds it shows a lack of transparency. Some people came over to us who were interested in what we were doing, and they alerted us to the fact that they had moved into Carlina's old apartment. That was kind of a surprise to us. And we discovered that she moved to uh, 25th Street, East 25th Street. She did this right after petitioning. 
which was a little curious because I think most people thought she still lived on the Lower East Side and now she's moved to the East Side. Is she still in the district, the new location? Yes, it's still on the fringes of the district. That's not the issue. What is the issue? She clearly has moved out of the heart of the Lower East Side. She's decided that that's not where she wants to live, although she continues to represent a good portion of that section. She sort of moved and didn't let anybody in the community know. So we're just sort of drawing attention to it. Do you feel that's unusual? It's unusual when people ask that she really doesn't want to discuss it. Why do you think she moved? We don't have the answers to a lot of questions. We don't know, for example, why she hasn't fought harder to oppose the current plan. Carlina leaves a lot of questions unanswered, and we're constituents, and we like to have transparency and answers. There's going to be a meeting. Carlina yesterday met some of the people campaigning in opposition to the park. She asked if they would meet with her, and in fact, they've agreed to meet with her today at 5 o'clock to find out a lot of issues related to the park not to do with her moving. Do you get a feeling that they're thinking about a compromise, trying to advance some sort of compromise? Not to our knowledge. They're still stuck in court. They still don't have a contractor. And we've spoken to some of the mayoral candidates, and we're hoping, again, that we can, that de Blasio does not get the green light, and that at least the new mayor will have, whoever that is, will have an opportunity to review this to a billion and a half dollars. I asked Maya Wiley about this, one of the candidates. Right. And... She wouldn't directly answer. She just said that I would involve the community and make sure the community, sort of everybody, would know what the issues really were. That's a perfectly good response that we're happy to hear that whoever the new mayor is, that they will take this opportunity to bring in an independent consultant, take a revisit of this before the whole park gets destroyed. We're only six months away from that now, less than six months. And we're going to know who the next mayor is. And I would hope de Blasio now would, rather than trying to cut down every tree in the next two months, defer to the next mayor or at least consult the next mayor about how to proceed. Organizer Tommy Loeb of East River Park Action WBAI has a call out to Councilmember Carlina Rivera to respond later this week. A lawsuit between two construction companies that bid for the project has put at least a temporary hold on any development, although there is fear the city might move earlier, even without a contract, and begin cutting down trees and preparing for construction. That's what folks are trying to head off. And finally, two barrier breakers from New York are making their first Pride Month on Capitol Hill. Representatives Richie Torres and Mondaire Jones are the first two openly gay black men elected to Congress. Both were elected last fall. It's a surreal experience, said Jones, of his first pride as a member of Congress. Jones, a Democrat representing Westchester and Rockland County, said that when he was younger, he never imagined coming out, let alone being accepted as an openly gay candidate. Torres, a Democrat who represents the Bronx, is also the first openly gay Afro-Latino member of Congress. That's some of the sound of a drum line in Harlem yesterday, and that's some of the news. For Sunday, June 20th, 2021, the news producer Linda Perry. Our engineer is Max Schmid. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.